Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. Expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, October 22nd, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to discuss the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editorial Director Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Not much. Not much. Uh, we, we have a shorter episode for you today, but I think there's some interesting things to talk about. Uh, let's start off with the, with the light one. Of this bunch, the original Nightmare on Elm Street house is for sale. Now, I used to live in uh, West Hollywood, a, a couple blocks from this house. I, I this house is in like this uh, historic neighborhood that's really expensive to live in. I lived, uh, you know, a few blocks south of that where it was, uh, you know, thousand dollars a month for rent, which uh, probably double now. Um, <laughs> but uh, th- this house is historic, you know. It, People make the pilgrimage here to LA. Horror fans love to go to the house and take photos. And uh, d- during Halloween, uh, traditionally they would put like a silhouette of Freddy Krueger up in like one of the windows. So it's kind of like a fun thing to see. Uh, but now it, it's for sale. So if you are a horror movie junkie who wants to live in the Nightmare on Elm Street house, uh, well. You're going to need some money because it's $3.25 million. Uh, the, the house is actually owned by the director of Seeking a Friend at the End of the World, Lorraine Scafaria. And uh, she bought it in 2013 for $2.1 million. So, wow, she's almost doubling her money there. That's pretty good. Uh, but, Ben, I wanted to ask you, would you – price aside – Okay, yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> because I I know none of us are <laughs> in, in in the uh, the ballpark of uh, how much we we have in our bank accounts to buy the Nightmare on Elm Street house. So price aside, uh, it, it does look like a nice house. Like it would be a cool mm-hmm. like as like a, it, it, I mean the reason why Hollywood shoots in that area all the time is because it doesn't look. Like a lot of L.A. actually has, you know, a front yard and it's very nice. Uh, would you be at all creeped out by living in a house, which is where, you know, Freddy Krueger 
uh, <laughs> uh, stalked. Uh, you know, that, that whole thing was based. Uh, I would be a lot more creeped out about living in a house where actual murder took place, which yeah. um, I would venture to say that there are a lot of those places in Los Angeles, and I probably lived in some of them uh, in my many years there. Um, you know, there's the idea of uh, of living in a is, is house. Is there a where, website where you could look that up? Because I don't think I've ever looked that up in any of the places I've lived. Man, that would be I don't scary. Know. Yeah, it's a good question. I was just looking this up when you were when you were mentioning West Hollywood. I was like, oh, when I first moved to LA in 2009 I used to live in West Hollywood and I I looked it up and I'm I used to live like six minutes away like a, a mile and a half away from this nightmare on Elm Street house so uh, I was pretty close back in the day but um no I mean I, I wouldn't have any uh, philosophical problem with living in a house where a horror movie was filmed because I know it's fake but uh there would be something maybe a little bit eerie about knowing for sure that somebody was actually killed in your uh, living space, um, you know, even if it was a hundred years before or whatever. So you don't care if there was fake demons and fake deaths. It's the real deaths that get you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing, I, I don't, you know, I could be wrong here, but I, I'm pretty sure that the movie didn't actually film inside the real house. It was just used for the exteriors. I could be wrong. My dog is coughing up hair doll, hairballs in the background. So I apologize. Uh, but I don't think it was used like the interiors were used. And even if they were, uh, if you look at this this listing, it's been completely changed. It's like very modern on the inside. Mm -hmm. It's traditional on the outside, modern on the inside. Uh, one of the interesting stories to come out of this is uh, the homeowner is actually uh, been in a seven-year relationship with Bo Burnham. So that special that hit Netflix over the pandemic uh, a few months ago, uh, Inside, was actually filmed. Well, actually, the headlines say it was filmed in the Nightmare on Elm Street house, but I'm, I'm guessing it was filmed in the guest house out back. Yeah, I yeah. think so. I think there's a moment at the very end of the special, spoiler alert for the special, but Bo Burnham opens the door and like walks out of that little side house and you can see him uniting with somebody, like I think embracing somebody on uh, sort of out in the distance, out of focus. And that must be Lorraine Scafaria. And that must be the actual house, like right there. It's like just, you know, a few feet outside of that door. Yeah. Uh, when the story first hit yesterday, I was like, wow, that's weird that, that this never came up in the promotion of, you know, Bo Burnham's inside like that seems like an interesting bit of trivia and then I realized oh it's because him and his uh other half were currently living there and they probably didn't want to tell people in mm -hmm. all the news that you know that we're living there so, yeah so that makes sense um okay let's get to the more serious topic at hand a story that broke uh yesterday afternoon and this is the tragic accidental death of a crew member on the set of the new Alec Baldwin movie. Ben, what do we know? Yeah, this one is uh, this one's tough to talk about. Um, so uh, a cinematographer named Galina or Halina uh, Hutchins, that's her name. She was uh, from the Ukraine originally, and I've seen conflicting reports on how you pronounce that first name. Evidently in Russian, it's Galina, but in Ukrainian, it's actually Halina. So uh, anyway, um, she was killed on the set of this movie that is called Rust. It is a Western. Uh, Alec Baldwin is the star and producer of this. And basically what happened was there was an accident on the set where a live round was accidentally loaded into a gun. 
that Alec Baldwin himself discharged. And uh, at least one of the, there's still so many questions that we have about this investigation. There's a lot of uh, unknowns about this. So I'm not sure how many shots were fired or anything like that. But um, it, this entire incident ended with uh, Helena Hutchins and the director, both uh, struck by projectiles from this misfired prop weapon. And uh, I was yeah, going to oh, say that before we get to Hutchins, um, which we should get to, I, I think probably a lot of people listening and hearing the story are like, how can someone get killed with a prop gun loaded with with a uh, blank? How how can that possibly happen? And I actually did some research yesterday. Um, first of all, blank guns are not, not you know, I, I think people assume that it's like, oh, it just makes a noise and there's a flash. But there is actually stuff that comes out that is being projected out of it. It's not the, you know, the um, <laughs> the exterior of the shell of the the bullet. It's different than like shooting a bullet. Uh, I, I know there was this case uh, a few decades ago where some an actor on set had a blank gun in their hand and they jokingly put it to their head, uh, like you know, pulled the trigger like they were uh, committing suicide, like as a a, a bad joke mm-hmm. on set and uh it, it just being that close to a blank firing actually like pushed like the brains out of his head or something like that so so it, yeah. it's it's no joke you, you you can't be close to these things but there's also like some reports unconfirmed reports that it might have actually had a real bullet in there and not a blank which is yeah, uh, the, the uh, latest I've heard is that it was a live round. And I'm not sure, like you're saying, like, are they classifying that as a blank because it it is technically a projectile and can cause damage in in the right circumstances or the wrong circumstances? Or was it actually a real bullet? I, I don't know enough about guns to, to be able to parse that terminology. Um but yeah, man, like, you know, to your to your point of like, how could this happen? I mean, Brandon Lee, like Bruce Lee's son was famously yeah. uh, accidentally killed on the set of The Crow in the what was that early 90s or something. Right. Um, and I, I I thought I was under the impression that Hollywood uh, sort of drew a line in the sand and said, like, OK, this is the last straw. Like, we can't have this kind of thing happen on movie sets anymore and and put into place, you know, a series of. Uh, of safety nets basically to, to ensure that something like this would never happen again. And I am not sure. I mean, so many of the reactions that I saw about this last night were basically saying like so many people had to screw up for something like this to actually happen. Um, so yeah, I, I don't have a good answer on, on, it's not an easy thing of like, Oh, well, it's just because of this. I mean, there's, if there's, a gun on the set, there should be somebody whose sole job it is to make sure that when that gun is used on the set, it's used in a safe way um, and make sure that real bullets or whatever never actually come anywhere near that gun. So I I, I really am sort of baffled and uh, like it just churns my stomach to, to yeah. think about this. It's actually interesting yesterday to see some filmmakers on Twitter trying to uh, you know, d- deal with this because obviously be- being <laughs> part of a production that you end up killing someone, that, that would be so uh, scary. But also trying to explain how this could happen. And uh, I saw Scott Derrickson. I saw James Gunn. I- I'd-, I'd say check some some of your favorite filmmakers on Twitter because they said some interesting things. 
what you mentioned of, about those safety precautions that were enacted because of, you know, uh, Brendan Lee's death on the crow. Uh, I forget who it was. It was either Scott or James that said it. It was like, yes, all those rules were put into in, in, into uh, the protocol. And if you follow those rules, no one will die. Like, they're, they're, like it, it's literally a, a set of rules that, like, the, the, there's no possible fail if you follow mm-hmm. those protocols. The problem is... Uh, you know, film sets are usually, you know, behind <laughs> they're, they're usually rushing. And sometimes, sometimes people don't follow those rules. I know um, there was an article, there's an update from IndieWire. And of course this is unsubstantiated, um, but in IATSE local, by the way, I, when I, when I did that episode last <laughs> week, people uh, told me that, Oh, you don't have to say out all the letters. It could, it's IATSE. So an IATSE local, this is the, um, uh, the union that was uh, th- th- threatening to strike against Hollywood uh, th- for many things, including uh, one of the things with safety concerns of like when, you know, the, these productions are under the gun. They, they sometimes do not follow all the safety concerns. Uh, but this IndieWire article got an uh, IndieWire uh, site, got an email sent to them from a local, from that local union that said the gun you didn't seen contain a live round, as you said, in the production's prop master was not a member of the local 44. So they hired non-union. Um, so anyways, um, we, we don't know uh, exactly how it happened. I'm sure it will come out in the coming days, but it's, it's tragic. Uh, can you tell us about um, who was affected? Yeah, so uh, Joel Souza is the director of this movie called Rust. He was hit and injured. Uh, he was taken to the hospital and um, ultimately released. So he evidently is, is doing okay. Um, and then, yeah, uh, unfortunately, uh, Helena Hutchins was the one who was killed here. And, and you might recognize her work. She uh, She's 42 years old. She has done um, a bunch of stuff in like the uh, indie horror space. I think her probably her most prominent um credit so far has been uh, the movie Arch Enemy that came out last year that stars uh, Joe Manganiello. It's this really, really interesting um, sort of low budget, like superhero kind of movie where it's like the, I'll read you the, the log line from, uh, from IMDb. Max Fist claims to be a hero from another dimension who fell through time and space to earth where he has no powers. No one believes his stories except for a local team. Uh, I'm sorry, a local teen named Hamster. And Manganiello stars this, as this guy who is essentially like a drunk and uh, he claims to be this superhero from another dimension. And it, the whole movie is like, is this guy just completely out of his mind or is he for real here? What's going on? And um, it's all, there's like, uh, you know, low level thieves and, and uh, a criminal underworld. And the movie is lit and shot really, really spectacularly. I think that's one of the best things about it. So it's, I mean, uh, it's a tragedy that anybody would die on set. Um, but I think a lot of people in the, especially in like the, the indie horror uh, community and, and people who um, are in the yeah low budget film community and, and people like that who who sort of uh, band together um, to get things done on and, and make things look great on screen for really really small amounts of money they know the sacrifices that these crew members uh, uh, undertake to to sort of make these movies look much more expensive than they actually are and I think um, you know losing one of their own like this is uh, is especially gutting yeah um, how is Alec Baldwin responding to this because, you know, he's the, even unknowingly, he's the guy that pulled the trigger 
yeah. in this, like, it was a rehearsal or were they filming? Yeah, I've seen conflicting reports about that. But uh, one of the, I think the most recent thing that I saw said that, yeah, it was either in the middle of a rehearsal or they were filming a scene like where he was supposed to be, I, I don't know, but yeah, pointing a gun at another actor or something. I'm not exactly sure. Maybe he was supposed to be pointing the gun at the camera. And that's how both the director and the cinematographer were in the line of fire. That's that's one of the things that I've been sort of scratching my head about. Like, I, I'm going to need more updates on on that uh, to understand exactly how this happened. But Baldwin only a couple hours ago um, took to Twitter and and issued an update on this. And he said, there are no words to convey my shock and sadness regarding the tragic accident that took the life of Helena Hutchins, a wife, mother, and deeply admired colleague of ours. I'm fully cooperating with the police investigation to address how this tragedy occurred. And I'm in touch with her husband, offering my support to him and his family. My heart is broken for her husband, their son, and all who knew and loved Helena. So um, yeah, I mean, this is still an active, uh, like a police investigation that the cops showed up at the set and, and questioned Baldwin um, yesterday. They probably questioned several other people as well. Um, but yeah, it, it sounds like maybe that's part of the reason why we don't know too many details is because they're trying to keep a, you know, somewhat of a yeah. lid on this until they can figure out exactly what happened. And so, um, you know, rampant speculation doesn't overtake the the narrative too much. <laughs> I mean, it's already taking over our narrative. So, yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, we'll keep you updated on, uh, you know, what is found from this investigation. Uh, but lastly, I wanted to get into you an email we got in our mailbag. You can send emails to us at peter at slash com, And we got this email from Michael O from Nashville, Tennessee. And he writes in, Hey, Peter, big fan of the podcast. I was kind of shocked yesterday that you guys didn't cover what I thought was the biggest story coming out of the Eternals premiere. And no, I'm not talking about the spoiler. I'm talking about the ones who spoiled. I couldn't believe that some reporters were openly talking about the events of the post credit scene from the movie. Is this allowed? Based on your lack of comment, I have to assume there's either some journalistic loyalty or maybe this is more normal than I would expect. Will there be any consequences for the spoilers? Does that hurt his job or am I overblowing everything? I don't know what to think, but I'm still frustrated and I'm hoping you guys can break this down for me. Okay. Well, for those of you who don't know what Michael is talking about, and there will be no spoilers discussed in this episode. So don't worry. Uh, After the eternal world premiere, a reporter left uh, the premiere, and usually we're allowed to give our reactions. And one of the, actually, I, I heard two reporters spoiled something that happens in the post credit scene of this Marvel movie. Uh, one of them is from one of the biggest outlets on the internet, you know, Variety. It's one of the trade papers. So this isn't like, you know, I saw some people complaining about the spoiler and then there was replies and they were like, they shouldn't allow these fanboy sites to go in. And it's like, it wasn't even the fanboy site. It was the biggest trade paper out there. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and ben, I know you didn't read the spoiler. You don't know what the spoiler is and that's probably better for this <laughs> discussion, <laughs> but you, you have gone to screenings like this and you know what the, the protocol is. So I guess let's answer Michael's question. Well, first of all, before we get to the question, I just want to say that we, we have no loyalty to any other reporters who are going to do something. Oh, right. Yeah. It, like, <laughs> we're, we're, the, the reason why we didn't cover is usually, I don't know, we, we kind of make the decision early on in Slash Film not to cover s- stuff like that because it brings more attention to it. Uh, in the early days, we would cover like when, you know, a big movie leaked onto one of the torrent sites. And then it was like, 
you know, who is this helping? This is just helping more people find the torrent or more people find the spoiler in this instance. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's like not worth our time to, to point it out. And then, then maybe people be putting in the comments or in the replies on Twitter, what the spoiler is. So that's why we we actually real quick, just to to butt in and completely interrupt you, Peter. um, I I noticed that yesterday, I think we wrote an article because uh, Dune was pirated, like, right around the time it was either yesterday or the day before yeah, and that's yeah. i think an exception to what yeah. you're talking about because um it's because on hbo the, well yeah it's on hbo but also like the situation in hollywood is so fluid right now because of the pandemic and how all these studios have been uh essentially pivoting to streaming to some degree or another and whether or not um piracy uh is actually going to affect um yeah. the continued you know uh business plan kind of thing so th- there are slightly different circumstances in, a, in an instance like that than what you're talking about where like years ago oh this movie just got pirated that kind of thing yes so. and by the way I, <laughs> I did not recall that we reported that yesterday but um i was just trying to give an example of so- something yeah, yeah, like yeah. this it's like sometimes you don't want to bring it's a spotlight a situation because mm-hmm. then it just makes things worse for everybody and I, I think the Dune situation is obviously more topical because of what's happening with the pandemic and Hollywood and VOD and all that stuff. Anyways, um, okay, let's let's break this down. Let's try to answer these questions. So when you're invited to a world premiere or a movie screening, are you allowed to walk out of the movie and tweet about the post credit scene? I mean, they typically have an introduction that like somebody from the studio will come up and say like, hey, thanks for coming. You know, do us a favor of like we invited you here. Do us a favor. Do us a solid. Like, just don't don't do this. Like, don't tweet spoilers um, because we're trying to preserve surprises for people. Um, you know, when you write your, your reviews, please take that into consideration. When you write your Twitter reactions, please they take that into consideration. Um, so it's it's not like. I mean, there have been very few times where I've had to like sign any documents or anything like that, um, you know, going into a a screening. It's mostly just sort of like an understood relationship that you have with a studio of like, we're going to invite you to see this movie early so you can do your job about it. And in return, we ask that you don't be a dick, basically. Um, So, you know, I I I can tell you... I can tell you specifically for the screening, I got invited to this world premiere and this is, uh, this is what was emailed to me from Disney is in order to give audiences around the world, the opportunity to enjoy our movies to the fullest and allow them to discover any surprises and plot twists. We respectfully ask you ask that you as press refrain from revealing spoilers and detailed spot uh, story points in your coverage, including on social media. And then they went on to give us a social media embargo, which is the minute the premiere ended. And then there's a review (laughs) embargo for Sunday. Um, So that's what we usually get. It's, yeah, either someone before the screening or we get it in the email that says that. Uh, If that person got that same, I'm guessing they did. But, um, okay, so... uh, and so, so these spoilers were tweeted out? Is that where where this whole thing sort of exploded? Okay, all right, just making sure. Yeah, it was a tweet, and that's not to say that, like, you know, I've given reactions in the past from a movie where it's like, oh, my God, people are going to freak out over the end credit scene or something like that. And that's, like, on the line, right? That's teasing. That's getting you excited. But that just literally tells you nothing, right? right? <laughs> um, 
And some people might say that's over the line, but I've always been told by studios that's fine as long as you're giving no details, you're not spoiling mm-hmm. anything. Um, this was like details, you know, who was in the scene, what, ha- you know, it, there was details there. Uh, so I guess the question is, will there be consequences for the spoilers? It, I, I can't imagine that an out like, like variety is going to be cut off from Disney or even this reporter, right? <laughs> I don't think so. I think I saw um, something like one of the publicists from Disney say yeah. like, Hey, uh, you know, I, I see you basically. Like it was like a subtweet kind of situation. Yeah. It was like, uh, you know, anybody who uh, who's tweeting stuff out there, like you, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain is essentially like reading between the lines of what this person was saying. Um, I don't know if that means that, there are actually going to be real consequences and that person maybe won't be invited to world premieres anymore, but like the, the outlet certainly will, maybe somebody, they'll just have to send somebody else or something like that. That's probably, that's the extent of any consequences that I could imagine in a situation like this. Um, If it was for, you know, if it was just like a, a a little nothing fanboy site, I could see definitely there being (laughs) a whole different uh, situation. Without a doubt, there would be like, banned from yeah. Disney coverage of anything probably. Yeah. Um uh they asked uh, will this hurt his job at his outlets? I'm guessing not. Sadly, I don't think Variety probably cares. Actually, here's a question for you, Ben. <laughs> if you did this, do you uh-huh. think this would affect your job at Slashfilm? Oh, that's an interesting question. So, um if you if you came out of Avengers one and you went on Twitter, you know, and this was before the embargo, whatever, and everything, uh, because when the review embargo, you're allowed to give more detail. I don't know; it's mm-hmm. very like unclear. But if you came out of the screening, you're like Thanos is in the end credit sequence of the movie. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, uh, and and it blew up into like a big uh, hubbub yeah. on social media. Yeah. Uh... What would you have done, Peter? Like you were running the show back then, so I don't know. Um, I mean, I feel like I would have been sidelined. <laughs> I would have been put on the bench for a little while. I like think, I probably I wouldn't so. have lost my job, but I think maybe I would have just been like, "All right, well, you're not covering anything in person for a while, so you just like stay on the news desk, and we'll send somebody who can, you know, behave themselves out to real events." So I, I don't know if. I don't know. I'm not privy to the inner workings yeah. of variety, but um, yeah. So, you know, uh, for Michael to wonder if he's overblowing this thing, I, I think it's a reasonable question to ask because there, there should be some line here and it, it's very clear what that line is. And this person definitely crossed it or these people definitely crossed it. Uh, but, you know, as we've seen in, in uh, many sectors of American life over the past several years, Peter, lines seem to be made to be crossed and there are very rarely consequences these days. Yeah, sadly, that that is the case. And, uh, you know, what? I don't know. At the end of the day, I'm not I'm not going to try to stick up for anybody spoiling a movie. But I think if, if you have accidentally read this spoiler and you go into the movie it's not going to affect your enjoyment of the movie. I, I, I honestly believe that. I feel like if you're going to like this movie, you're going to like this movie. If you're not going to like this movie, you're not going to like this movie. The, the spoiler is not something that like the entire movie, you know, rests it on. It doesn't hinge on. Hinge okay, on. Good. So uh, 
don't know. I don't know. Are you overblowing it? I don't know. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't want spoilers out there. That's not something we like to put out into this this world. You know, when a movie comes out, we will do, you know, the day it comes out, we'll have like an ending explained, which is kind of a place to like explain things. Because <laughs> I remember being in the theater when that when Thanos came at the in the end credits of Avengers 1. Half the theater was like, wait, who? <laughs> and half the, you know, the the comic book nerds were all jumping up and down. Yeah, because I remember, like, they didn't, I don't think they said his name. And yeah. I I feel like I remember <laughs> thinking, oh, that is that Galactus? Like, what's going on? Because I I'm, was not a big, um, like, uh, and, and I'm still not a big Marvel Comics reader. But I had seen the Fantastic Four movies and, like, knew that Galactus, knew sort of what Galactus was supposed to look like instead of the cloud that he appeared as in Rise of the Silver Surfer. So yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, is that Galactus? What's going on? um obviously it was not so uh but yeah like that that would be a good thing where i probably went home and looked that up so uh yeah. that, that's the kind of service that we're trying to provide at slash film um on on days when movies open uh and we'll have you know breakdowns of the post-credit scenes and things like that you know a bunch of different coverage from a bunch of different angles to try to answer those questions that people might have yeah, I know some people are like, why can't you wait till Monday to post that stuff? But like, the question, the thing is, you don't see the movie on Monday. You see the movie on Thursday night at this first screening. And those people want to know, not, you know, who is Thanos? How does this affect the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe? You know, they want to know all that stuff. We try to keep all that stuff out of the title, out of the the thumbnail out of the you know out of everything above the jump so you, no one's going to be spoiled but that's how we treat things um i know others like in their reviews i know some critics that will it's a review of the movie is a review of the movie and they can talk openly about the the end of the movie what, how do you feel about that um I kind of feel like that's that's what we should be doing, really, because like like you said, a review is a review. You should be able to talk about the whole thing. I mean, I th- I think we we handle it pretty well because we have a review that goes up when review embargoes break and when people are allowed to post reviews, and then like the Monday or so after, we do spoiler reviews, and those can really dig into some of those things. So I feel like we're we have like a good system in place. Um, if I was writing a review. I don't know. Like I, I, as a viewer hate spoilers. I love to go into stuff as much as possible, but I feel like reviews but then are things you that and, you. Yeah. I was going to say, you ahead. wouldn't even read a review then at that point. Yeah, because I, you don't I don't want to know anything. Personally, like, yeah, I, I almost never read reviews before seeing something because I just want to experience the thing. And then, then when you have that knowledge, you can go and compare your experience to some other journalist or whatever. And like, uh, maybe learn something and, and get a different perspective on. And, and at that point, like all, you know, the gloves are off so you can talk about anything. So yeah, it, it's a tough line, but I think slash film has a good system in place for hopefully um, being able to provide everybody with kind of what they need at the right time. I agree with that. I think reviews are kind of sometimes at odds with themselves because on, on one edge of the, the table, they need to function as a recommendation engine. You know, they're helping recommend that if someone sees a movie or should not see a movie. But then on the other edge of the, like, you need a place that is analysis and, you know, breaking down the stuff. And after you see the movie, you want to kind of get into that discussion and the the the, the nitty gritty of it. So I, I like how we do it, kind of uh, keeping the more spoiler stuff for the spoiler review. Mm-hmm. But uh, Michael, I hope that answered your question. 
Um, and sadly, I don't think uh, this guy's going <laughs> to suffer any consequences for this. But I don't know. Maybe I could be wrong. Maybe Disney won't invite that particular writer to world premieres in the future. Maybe they'll be invited to like, you know, the uh, the all the last, media. Yeah, the all media. They dreaded all media. When you're you're in the in the movie uh, journalism world, uh, being invited to the last screening, which they call the all media screening, which is like usually like the day before the movie comes out, is like uh, you were you were in the out. So maybe, maybe that's where he's going to end up. So, okay. You can find more of all of our work slash from.com. You can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Peter at slash from.com. And please rate and read this podcast in Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Monday.